You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to briefly recap the Marlins one-game stop in Boston. They had to finish up that Red Sox series that was rained out. They had one game in Fenway. It was a bit of a disaster going in because Dan Castano was scratched ahead of the start due to an injury and the Marlins quickly pivoted to Zach Thompson. Zach Thompson filled in after getting called up from AAA, made his big league debut, and I thought he did all right. I mean, given the circumstances, he did pretty well. But of course, then Zach Thompson goes down with an injury. I think the Marlins were not planning on going much more than four innings with him, but they were definitely hoping to go one more from Zach Thompson. He only goes three innings, gives up four hits, two earned runs, a walk, and a strikeout. I'm going to talk a little bit about Zach Thompson, a little bit about the ball game in general, another fantastic offensive output from Starling Marte. He just continues to carry this offense right now, and it has been so good to see him come back and not really miss a beat, but the Marlins need a lot more than Starling Marte made evident today after he was able to hit a home run, pick up three hits, and the Marlins still drop the game at 5-3. I'm going to preview the Marlins Rocky series, which I know that we have been talking about how the Marlins needed to dominate this stretch of seven games or so, not really including the Red Sox game, but the four-game set with the Pirates and then the three-game set at home against the Rockies. The Marlins did not dominate the four-game set with the Pirates. They only took one game at the back end there, and they just dropped this game to the Red Sox. Things have gotten ugly somewhat quickly. They're 25-34, and but I'm going to talk about this Rocky series, which needs to be a sweep. It really needs to be a sweep. There's no way around it. And when you look at all of the numbers surrounding this series, there is absolutely no excuse even for this decimated Marlins team to do not pick up two out of three, and they really need to take three out of three. They sweep the Rockies, then all of a sudden you're back to 28 and 64, and you can start climbing your way back to 500 and just try to tread water at least until, which I feel like I've used that term so freaking much this year, but that's the term that really has been the theme of this year. But it seems like the second they start to get healthy, a couple other pieces drop, but they need to survive until Rojas and Brian Anderson come back because the Marlins are one and nine without Rojas and Brian Anderson. Since both those guys have gone down, really losing nine out of 10 is really tough. I don't know if it's shocking given the importance of especially Miguel Rojas. Brian Anderson was heating up. When you consider the fact that they are elite defensively on the left side, they are a big part of this Marlins offense, especially Miggy Rowe. But when Brian Anderson's swinging it, he is one of the focal points of the offense as well. So the Marlins are really feeling it. They are really feeling it. But also it's because of the drop-off that you get from Miggy Rowe to whoever will replace at second base. We've seen a bunch of different people play second base. Now Chisholm playing short, but you see Birdie getting a lot of ABs at second. You see Isan Diaz now getting the at-bats at third, and that's a big drop-off from Brian Anderson as well, though he did add two hits today, so I'll give Diaz that. But in general, he has been a disaster there and has not been great defensively either. So the drop-off from Rojas to Anderson to Diaz and Birdie is quite dramatic, and Birdie 
has just been incredibly frustrating. Between Diaz and Birdie both hitting under 200, well under 200, by the way, even with Diaz's two hits today, still hitting a buck 48. Birdie went one for three, still hitting a buck 78. Jazz did add a hit, but he has been struggling as of late with three strikeouts again today. He did go one for four, but he is striking out a ton as of late. The strikeout rate is well over 30% now. That is not what you love to see from Jazz, but I think he'll settle in and kind of get back into the rhythm of things. He keeps getting banged up a little bit too, and I'm sure that's not helping. Adam Duvall did add a pair of hits, and I have loved what we've seen from Jorge Alfaro at the plate. He did only go one for four, but he drove in a run today. He also had a good AB and worked a walk. Alfaro has been very impressive so far since returning from injury. Very excited about that. And the Marlins have gotten a big offensive boost from behind the dish. There's no doubt about that. Even if Alfaro is inconsistent, a huge boost from what they were getting from Chad Wallach and Sandy Leone. So I'm going to talk about a lot of the numbers heading into this Marlins Rocky series. The Rockies are one of the worst teams in baseball. No secret. But so were the Pirates. And the Marlins did not beat the Pirates. But I'll tell you why the Rockies are even worse than you can even imagine on the road, which is where they will be playing the Marlins at Marlins Park, not Marlins Park, geez, at Lone Depot Park. I still got to get used to that. That's something that I am going to make a mistake on at least from time to time. I'm not even going to edit that out because I think it's so funny how it just organically happens to all of us. So at Lone Depot Park, that is where the Marlins will be hosting the Rockies. And when you hear some of these numbers on how bad the Rockies are away from cores, you are going to be shocked. And I don't care about the jinx thing at this point. They've lost 9 of 10, and if they can't beat the Rockies that are the worst team maybe in baseball history right now when they're on the road, then it's beyond me. It's beyond my jinx. It's just a disaster. So we will discuss that. Some of the arms that the Marlins may have going in that series. I think we'll see Braxton Garrett get the call up and I'll talk about why he really impressed me. Went back and watched his last outing and it was a really solid one for the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp against a very experienced lineup, which I think is really important with a guy like Braxton Garrett. So quickly just talking about this Red Sox ball game. The Marlins did put up a little bit of a fight. They Gave them a little bit to be worried about. Gave the Red Sox some concern at the end there in the ninth. They added one more run. They were threatening with two on. A big double from Isan Diaz, but not able to get the runs in with a runner in scoring position. That's kind of been the trend for the Marlins, especially against the Red Sox. I would say in this series, but it was disrupted. But when the Marlins were playing the first two games of the series, or game and a half, since the one game was cut short, they were not good with runners in scoring position. The Marlins actually created quite a few opportunities in this one. They had 16 opportunities with runners in scoring position, only cashed in on three. They were three for 16. They left 14 on, while the Red Sox were four for 10 with runners in scoring position and left seven on. So the Marlins were not able to really cash in on anything, despite actually, surprisingly, racking up some opportunities and piling together 12 hits. They actually out-hit the Red Sox today. 12 hits against the Red Sox 10, but the Red Sox were able to put him in when runners were in scoring position, and it was also just really the Arroyo show. He goes two for three, drove in a pair, and also walked. Xander Bogarts went two for four. Verdugo went two for four. It was the top of the order that really did the damage for the Sox. Those three players drove in three, piled together six hits, and that was for the most part, all they needed because the Marlins kicked the ball around quite a bit in that one inning. An error from 
Brian Anderson, and then a throwing error from Jorge Alfaro. It was a bit of just kicking that baseball around and gave the Red Sox a little bit more of momentum in that inning, and they were able to just make that inning hurt. Those three runs in the fourth was the big kind of blow for the Marlins. They just were not able to climb back after that. They did score two runs to try to climb back into it, but 5-1 to one for this team. Four-run deficit, just too much right now for this Marlins offense, though the 12 hits could be somewhat of a silver lining, and you just hope that the runners in scoring position thing evens out because while the Marlins have left a lot of runners on base this year, they've typically been okay with runners in scoring position, especially with two outs. Thompson, as I mentioned earlier, three innings, four hits, two runs, one strikeout, one walk. That The slider looks pretty sharp at times. He was not bad, again, given the circumstances. He has been pretty dreadful in Jacksonville so far far this season where he's surrendered 22 hits in 15 innings and 11 earned runs. So again, for the Marlins to get four innings or three innings, excuse me, of two-run ball from him, I really feel like that was probably a better case scenario. Of course, he goes down and he's injured. Hopefully, he's healthy. The real story has been Zach Pop, who comes in in relief for Thompson and was terrible yet again. It has been a bit of a disaster for Zach Pop so far over the last handful of ball games. He has thrown three innings in June. He has surrendered 12 hits in those three innings, eight earned runs. And maybe the most concerning part of all of this is you'd almost prefer that it were because he's just walking a ton of guys, but he has not walked a single batter. He hasn't walked a single batter in those three innings where he surrendered eight runs. It is all on hits. And I was trying to find Obviously, the command has been very inconsistent. Even though he hasn't walked anybody, he's falling behind hitters. That has not helped. But the other interesting thing that is somewhat alarming is that the vertical movement on his fastball, which is really a sinker, has cut in half almost over the last handful of ball games. Where did that vertical movement go? I don't know. The spin rates are consistent. Everything else looks fine, but the vertical movement is off. I don't know if it's about release point. I don't know what really goes into that. The VLO is consistent. Everything else is good. A little bit above my pay grade, but the vertical movement is way down and he's getting shelled. So I don't think that's a coincidence. He's obviously missing his spots as well. So you combine missing spots, vertical movement down, and you have what is a disaster of the last three innings for Zach Pop. Again, 12 hits, eight runs in those last three innings. The Marlins are going to need to kind of stash him right now go to other options, and only go to Zach Pop if they are up big, which I don't know when that's going to happen, or if they're down big, which is probably more likely right now, given the circumstances, and that's where you go to Pop, because you cannot go to Zach Pop right now in a game that's even remotely competitive, because he really needs to find it. You can't send him to the minor leagues, because he's a Rule 5 pick, and I still do believe in Zach Pop's stuff. When it comes to swings and misses, he's as good as anybody, but right now, he is getting hit hard, so we need to see him kind of settle back in there. Maybe some really low leverage opportunities will help with that, but for now, you kind of got to stash him if you want to hold on to him because he cannot go out there right now. It has just been too brutal to watch. As for the rest of the bullpen, it seemed like a nice little bounce back for most of the Marlins relievers. Adam Simber was solid, another scoreless inning. Anthony Bender doesn't give up a run again. One inning, one walk, one strikeout. That ERA remains at zero, even though he did have that one bad outing. I think the error at first, so it's kind of weird how that doesn't count for a run. I know he inherited some runners. I'd have to go back and look at that. Wasn't his best, but he comes back, pitches a pretty clean inning, did give up the one walk. John Curtis, another solid inning. And Ross Detweiler gets that ERA under three. He has been looking pretty good. 
racks up a pair of strikeouts as well. So good news from the rest of the bullpen. That's not even the Marlins, I guess, Team A right now, or A team, I should say. It's more so the secondary relievers, though right now, is there really a clear primary and secondary? Probably not. So it's good to see some of these guys put together some clean innings against a really good lineup. That is the silver lining. The other good news is that the Marlins have a very advantageous series coming up. I know I've said that before, but this is just objectively a series that they need to be able to win and potentially sweep. I'm going to tell you why, other than the fact that it's the Rockies and they are bad, but I'll tell you more specifically why it is so dramatic how bad they are away from home. That's coming up in just a minute. Also, a little bit more on Braxton Garrett, who I presume will be making a start in that series. We have no idea, but with Dan Castano going down, that is what my guess is, and I'll say why he was impressive to me in his last Jacksonville start, why the Marlins should be maybe a little bit more excited to see if he could come out and provide a bit more than he has so far in the big leagues. Before I get to that, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Lucy Nicotine, a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. They researched and developed for three years to create a nicotine alternative for people, not patients. Lucy has created nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that comes with three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Lucy also has lozenges with four milligrams of nicotine that come in three flavors, cherry ice, citrus, and mint. Lucy lozenges and gum are FSA and HSA eligible, so you can use your FSA cards to purchase Lucy now, and it's convenient and discreet. It's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. If you go to lucy.co, that's L-U-C-Y dot C-O, and use a promo code LOCKEDONMLB, that's one word, LOCKEDONMLB, you'll get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co using the promo code locked on MLB. Also brought to you by our friends at Built Bar, nine delicious flavors. They are all low in calories, low in sugar, low in fat, high in protein, and great for a keto diet. They also have the occasional limited time flavor. Our friends at Built Bar make a great protein bar that is covered in chocolate, easy to chew. What else could you want from a protein bar? And best of all, if you go to builtbar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your first order. Use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, for 15% off your next order at builtbar.com. Lastly, a message from betonline.ag, who wants to tell you about the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news and odds and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. All you have to do is go to Bet Online, use a promo code locked on, that's one word locked on, and you will get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's get back to baseball and let's talk about this upcoming Marlins series with the Rockies, who are really, really bad away from home. They're not really good at home either, but they are much better there. They are almost non competitive on the road. They are 4 22 on the road. Yes, that bad. 4 22 away from Coors Field, but that's just the surface of it, right? Why are they 4-22? Well, I can give you a bunch of reasons. Their offense is just atrocious 
away from Coors Field. That might not be so surprising, right? A team that doesn't have a ton of good hitters is not as good away from a place that is a dream for all hitters and really just boosts the stats of any hitter that is out there, which is Coors Field. When they're away from there, they have a 563 OPS, a 197 batting average, and of course, that 4-22 record. But what is also interesting, and maybe not something you would totally expect, is that Rockies pitchers actually are much better at Coors Field. So you have the perfect storm for this Rockies team. Their pitchers are way worse away from Coors, and their hitters are also way worse away from Coors. I guess on one side of it, it is better because they have a home record that is a bit disproportionate to what their record would probably be at a normal neutral stadium. But on the other side, they are so bad on the road, it's ridiculous. And when we look at the numbers, we'll talk about each of the Rockies pitchers that are expected to throw in the series. I don't know if it's for sure going to be these three guys, but this is what the probables are. And from what I've looked at, seems to make the most sense. Antonio Sensatella should be the guy that goes first against the Marlins. And Sensatella has been decent at Coors Field. A lot of these guys have just learned how to throw at altitude and how to compete out there. So that makes sense, but I wouldn't expect it to be this dramatic. Sensatella has been decent at Coors on the road. Not a huge sample size, but enough. He has pitched 11 and two-thirds innings on the road, 18 hits allowed, four home runs, and a 2.1 whip away from course. The next guy that's supposed to throw in this series is Austin Gomber. Gomber is a big dude, 6'7 lefty, who actually came over in that Nolan Arenado trade from the Cardinals over to the Rockies and is a Florida native as well, went to FAU, so a little bit of a homecoming for Gomber, but he actually prefers to throw at Coors Field as well. Gomber's probably going to be the best arm that the Marlins face in this series, and when he is on, he's actually pretty darn solid. A 1-3-3 ERA at Coors and a 5.44 ERA away, but Gomber does have the ability to lock in no matter where he's pitching, And throw a gem every once in a while. I think he's got some decent stuff. He's added a slider to his arsenal that has gotten a bit better. It was more of a cutter before. And again, when he's on, he's pretty decent. So that could be a tough one for the Marlins, relatively speaking. But he's also another guy that is worse away from home. And the Marlins should be able to beat. The final guy in the series that they are supposed to face, or it seems like they're going to face, is somebody that I just, I can't believe he's still pitching, really. And there is no reason why the Marlins shouldn't be able to beat him. And again, I know that I've done this before, and I've gone through pitchers and pitching matchups and how they're advantageous to the Marlins, but this is a joke. This is a joke what the Marlins are going to be facing here. And if they can't win two out of three of these ball games, then you might as well pack it in. You really might as well pack it in. Chichi Gonzalez going for the Rockies. And not only is Chi-Chi averaging less than five strikeouts per nine innings and really closer to 4.5, he also has a 6.33 ERA away from course. So that is the good news for the Marlins. And despite how meager the offense has been, I'd expect them to be able to hit these guys. Also, I'm expecting the Marlins to potentially call up Jesus Sanchez. We don't know for sure, and I know Craig Mish was just on the podcast recently and was saying that he doesn't think the Marlins call up Sanchez until they move Dickerson. That might be the case, but right now, the service time, the clock no longer matters as of the time I'm recording it. It just turned midnight, so actually, yay, happy holidays. It is Jesus Sanchez Day. Technically, his clock no longer matters, so we can't cite service time manipulation anymore. We can just cite, I don't know. I guess blockage of 
Corey Dickerson in the way. It sounds like the Marlins may be looking to move Dickerson. I think the contract is somewhat immovable, but if they eat some of the salary, then I'm sure there'll be takers. Ironically, the Yankees have gotten the worst production in all of baseball from left-handed hitters in their lineup. I don't think the Yankees are a bad option, but the Yankees also don't want to go over the luxury tax threshold, so that would be a bit of a mess. Maybe they could exchange bad contract for bad contract. That's an entirely different topic. While Dickerson hasn't been incredibly productive, maybe a change of scenery would be good for him. Obviously, he's going through a lot. I don't know if he would prefer a trade or not, and that's something that I'm sure the Marlins organization is talking about as he is dealing with the illness of his father, and obviously our thoughts are with Corey Dickerson through that as well. And unfortunately, we have to talk about the baseball side of things. And for the Marlins, they may be able to work something out with Corey where maybe he prefers to be shipped somewhere else where he can be closer to his family. I know he's from Mississippi. I'm not sure what the exact situation is where his father is located currently. That's all stuff that is obviously private and important. So we'll see how that whole situation unfolds. A bit of a complicated one for the Marlins and Corey Dickerson. And again, the most important thing is our thoughts are with Corey and his father and family. The Marlins do need to look for other options, though, to be able to boost this offense. And I really think that you got to look at Jesus Sanchez at this point. Yes, the infield is really, really rough, and that is a big part of the issue, but you still got to go find somebody that can just give a jolt to, to this lineup, and it really has been just magnificent. What we've seen from Jesus Sanchez, his splits are consistent everywhere you look. He is equally as good against righties and lefties. He's equally as good at home and on the road. The strikeout rate is as low as it's ever been, and he's obviously putting up big-time numbers. You got to call this guy up. You figure it out, even if your outfield is somewhat busy, even if he's somewhat blocked, you put him in the lineup and figure it out elsewhere. Corey Dickerson has mostly been a platoon guy anyway at this point for the Marlins, and it seems like Jesus Sanchez can play every day with those lefty-righty splits being pretty consistent. I think you got to try it. You need a spark, and he could be that spark. So we'll see if he gets the call-up. That would obviously help this team quite a bit and could be a nice little jolt and it makes sense with the clock and the service time that we could see Jesus Sanchez coming up in this series and the Marlins would be smart to do it we'll see if they decide to it still doesn't fix the infield issue and that's something I'm going to get to in a moment because it seems like something that they need to address externally we saw Mel Stoudemire say that the Marlins were going to look outside of the organization for pitching help they haven't really done that yet they added one AAA arm I don't know if that's what they were talking about by looking outside the organization but I really believe that they should go after Anibal Sanchez just carved up some teams in the Olympic qualifiers I know that's not big league lineups but he looks good honestly just pick the guy up at this point I don't see why you don't you got nothing to lose and he could help this Marlins team in the meantime that just continues to be decimated by injuries the good news is Edward Cabrera made a rehab start and looked phenomenal three perfect innings so he is inching his way back and if he looks good after a handful of starts the Marlins may end up just giving him the thumbs up and send him over to the major leagues to help them right now. That would be a fun outcome out of all of this frustration given the Marlins situation in terms of how they've been trying to keep the rotation together and enough of the three-man rotation. I would rather see them throw whoever else in there every fifth day than two bullpen games. We've just seen how brutal it has been. I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing this bullpen struggle. I think they've been way too taxed through the first couple months of the season. It's just not normal to have all these bullpen games and then having the extra inning games and just so much that has been put on this bullpen. It's not a great one. Don't get me wrong. It's not the most talented 
bullpen in the world, and I think they've had some issues, obviously, in high-leverage situations. Anthony Bass continues to get the eighth inning. Say what you want about Ton Mattingly, but he will stick with his guys. You can't take that away from him for better or for worse, but enough of this three-man rotation stuff. You gotta just call somebody up and maybe go get somebody. Braxton Garrett could be good enough to be in there for the next few weeks every fifth day. I really liked what I saw in his last outing, and I'll talk about that right now. So basically, Braxton Garrett goes against the AAA ball club for the Braves. It's the Gwinnett Stripers. And the Gwinnett Stripers are a pretty experienced team all around. Between top prospect Drew Waters in the leadoff spot, who is roughly a top 50 prospect in baseball. Orlando Arcia was also in that lineup. The shortstop that they picked up, who would have been a great guy for the Marlins to pick up, but the Braves grabbed him just before the Marlins had all of those injuries. Arcia has been one of the best hitters in all of the minor leagues so far. He has not really panned out in the majors, but has been really just red hot in AAA, 954 OPS. Then Johan Camargo, another guy that's just mashing in AAA, another guy that has plenty of big league experience, was batting third in that lineup. You had Jonathan Lucroy in that lineup as well, a guy that I wanted the Marlins to pick up, but regardless, a big league bat on that ball club also. So there was a lot of experience and talent in that lineup. So it wasn't like Braxton Garrett was pitching against a largely inexperienced or super untalented group of minor leaguers. It was a lot of former big leaguers and some guys that have been mashing in AAA. Garrett goes five innings, two hits, no runs, two walks, five strikeouts, and has lowered his ERA to 3.28 in AAA. He's starting to settle in a little bit, and he's obviously, in my opinion, especially after that start, has earned himself a start at the major league level, and it kind of times well with his rest. That was a June 4th start. The first game of this series later today, obviously, is June 8th, so you have the second game of the series where he can go, and that will be enough rest for him where he can go into that ball game and make his normal scheduled start. It should be Pablo on an extra day's rest. The Marlins have said that they're going to do that from time to time, and I love that for some of their young pitchers to take advantage of that. But at this point, when you have a three-man rotation, maybe not the best time to do it, but I'm totally fine with prioritizing the health of your young pitchers. So it should be Pablo, maybe Braxton Garrett, if that's what they call up, instead of a bullpen game, and then Trevor Rogers in this series. So overall, you're getting two of your three better pitchers, and Braxton Garrett, who's looked pretty decent, The other good news is the Marlins have been phenomenal on the mound at home. So you have a Rockies offense with a 563 OPS on the road and a 197 batting average. The Marlins rotation has a 269 ERA at home and a 583 OPS allowed at home. So when you have those two things combined, you figure the Marlins have to be able to stifle this Rockies lineup. These Rockies pitchers who are not great, even though the Marlins offense is not good right now, are way worse away from cores, so you figure the Marlins should be able to scrape for a couple runs. You put those two things together, and basic logic would tell you that the Marlins should be able to take this series. Unfortunately, baseball usually does not follow basic logic, neither do the Marlins, so we'll see, but this is a series that if the Marlins don't win this one, it does not look good for their long-term outlook, but you know, even then, it's not over. It's still June 8th, but still, That's going to be one where you really start to see things unravel if they don't win this upcoming series. That being said, the Marlins should be able to, and we'll see how it goes starting later today as I record this right around 1 in the morning. Unfortunately, a late start today, so I apologize. Or early, no matter how you look at it, right? Life's all about perspective. And while we see 
A lot of Marlins fans tend to unravel right now, myself included. I've unraveled a little bit over this losing streak. It's been a bit frustrating at times, but more so for me, I mean, this team, you're looking at the roster right now, they're absolutely decimated. It's very understandable that they're struggling. My issue isn't as much that. My issue is that we are not seeing the Marlins really do anything about it. And while I acknowledge that their hands are tied, that is totally understandable. Their hands are pretty tied. And I don't want them to make some crazy, ridiculous move, not really asking for much. I'm literally asking that you just go out and get a very, very basic infielder. Doesn't even have to be Freddie Galvis at this point. I have lowered my ask from even a mediocre to really cheap expiring contract veteran to just a triple-A journeyman big leaguer who is swinging it well right now. That, for me, at this point, sounds good. I know I mentioned Christian Colon, triple-A with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's got five jacks. He's hitting 337. That sounds fine to me. There's no way he's worse than what Diaz and Birdie have been for this Marlins team. What I just don't understand is why not even just try to trade for those guys? You understand how cheap the price would be for 32-year-old Christian Colon AAA for the Blue Jays, who is obviously not going to get called up. He's right now just basically an extra, extra depth piece. They don't need him. They don't need him. If they can get a little flyer of a player or even some international bonus pool money, the Marlins can go get a guy that is going to be better than whatever they're getting. Christian Colon has 10 walks and 10 strikeouts as well. The Marlins have had a major strikeout issue. Birdie striking out more than ever. Diaz strikes out a ton. Why not just go get that guy? You don't even have to put him in the major leagues right away. You're going to sign him to AAA. You have an infield issue in the minor leagues anyways. You've picked up a couple of guys that are legitimately picked up just to be bench players in the minor leagues. They've signed a couple dudes. Look at the transactions page. I don't even remember their names. They are guys that were hitting 180 in indie ball. So you added those guys to be able to just fill out your rosters in the minor leagues. Why not just go get a half-decent AAA bat that you can rely on a little bit, just a little bit, for now? That would be a little bit better than what you have currently. Look at the Braves' AAA roster if you get a chance. Look at the Braves' just minor league roster in general. Look how many former big leaguers they have as just-in-case emergency depth pieces. They even traded for Orlando Arcia, took a little bit of a flyer on him. But they have a bunch of other dudes that are former big leaguers that are swinging it well in AAA that are kind of in case of emergency type of guys. Why wouldn't you do that? The Mets did the same thing. And those teams have been managing their injuries. Yes, they have way better rosters than the Marlins, obviously. But they've been managing their injuries a bit better because of that. Even the Braves and the Mets were piecing it together with a little bit of craziness for a while. But you know what the Mets did? They went out and got people. Somebody didn't work. They went out and got somebody else and just tried to piece it together. The Braves had a million veterans in AAA that they were able to move up and kind of make happen. The Braves haven't been as decimated as the Mets and the Marlins, but it's just an example. Where's the urgency, right? You're telling us that you're trying to win. You're telling us that you're trying to compete. Let's see some urgency instead of just rolling out the same dudes out there. I understand your hands are tied. I wouldn't even care if they've lost 9 out of 10 if they were trying to do something. I think it's more frustrating when you don't really see anything being done. I'm not asking for a trade of Eduardo Escobar. I'm literally asking to just go get somebody that may be able to play in the major leagues. At least just show some sort of effort. I don't really know what the counter argument would be to that. I don't know why they wouldn't do that. Are you that afraid to move on from John Birdie? 
I just don't really understand. You don't even have to move on from John Birdie. Just go get somebody and stash him in AAA for, for right now and just kind of see how it goes. I just don't get it. So that's the one thing that I'm not totally understanding. You could also probably send Birdie to AAA. I also don't think anybody's claiming that guy if you had to send him through waivers. So I am not totally sure what the deal is there. I'm also not totally sure why they've been so adamant on rolling on a three-man rotation for so long now. Now they look to add potential outside help. Where was that a month ago? And even that's assuming that they even go do it. Why wouldn't you just go get a veteran arm instead of rolling with that three-man rotation? And I don't want to really just beat a dead horse here. I don't want to be a pessimist and all of those things, but it's really hard to wrap my head around that. I don't want to be the armchair GM, and I really understand that there's more to it than just what meets the eye. But this is one of those things that maybe there's not really that much more to it. There's not really any counter-argument to that in my eyes, and I'm really curious what the case would be made to say why they haven't done anything, why they've kind of stuck with their roster as is, even without making the slightest and even smallest of move to help their ball club. Even the Cubs went out and signed D. Gordon. Like, why aren't you making even the smallest of moves? Why weren't you going to get Jonathan Lucroy when you were rolling out Chad Wallach and Sandy Leone? Just those small moves like that, why are they so adverse to that? I don't know. I really don't understand it. And that's the one thing that I think is more frustrating than anything. I wouldn't care if it was a revolving door of stopgap players, but at least they're making some sort of effort. Enough of just rolling out the same underachieving players because you don't want to move on from them or because you don't really want to take a chance. That's where I don't totally get it. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if they decide to call Jesus Sanchez up. We'll see how this next couple weeks go for this team as we know they're pivotal because things can get away from you kind of quick. The Marlins have a big series coming up. And I think that there will be some things to be excited about. I think we will slowly start to get these players back. And if Jesus Sanchez makes his debut, that'll get us kind of perked up and a little bit more excited again. And I'm looking forward to that hopefully happening in this Rocky series. I am looking forward to talking about this series with you. Let's hope it's a good one. And I will be with you every step of the way each day this week. As always, thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.